Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here on episode 63 of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. And if I sound extra chipper, it's because I'm having the naps of my life, and I owe it all to Bruce, Dr. Michael Bruce. The singing is still improving. I started taking some voice lessons from Renee Grant-Williams, so don't hold it against her that I'm not quite there yet, but... I am seriously experiencing an extra dose of vitality, of rejuvenation, because I am discovering a bit of The Power of When, which is Dr. Michael Bruce's latest book. It dropped about one week ago from uh, this release, and it's so handy. So you're going to learn, one, how to tell what your chronotype is and how that determines the best time to do just about everything. Two, the optimal time to send emails, brainstorm, drink coffee, have meetings, and more. And three, how to make the most of your power nap as I have begun to do. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep 63 or if you just want those takeaways faster in an email you can read in under two minutes, sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over at awesomeatyourjob.com and you'll get the wisdom from uh, Dr. Bruce and the other 62 guests who have come before him and the, the guests to come after in a quick morning email for your convenience. So here is a quick bit about uh, Dr. Michael. Michael J. Bruce, PhD, is a clinical psychologist and both a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. With a specialty in sleep disorders, Dr. Bruce is one of only 163 psychologists in the world with his credentials and distinction. Among his numerous national media appearances, Dr. Bruce has been interviewed on CNN, Oprah, The View, Anderson, and The Doctors. He also appears regularly on The Dr. Oz Show and Sirius XM Radio. Dr. Bruce is dead dedicated to raising awareness of both medically diagnosed sleep disorders and the importance of quality sleep for all. He has become a widely recognized leader in the ever-evolving field of sleep medicine. Here's Michael. Michael, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I, I'm excited to talk about so much of this stuff here with regard to the power <laughs> of wind and sleep. It's so funny. It, your publicist said, oh, hey, I used to have uh, Dr. Bruce on your show. It's like, okay, that sounds like a great topic. That's interesting. Oh, wait, I got his book years ago, A Beauty Sleep, and you got a whole lot more good, solid research since then. I do. I've got all kinds of cool stuff and stuff that's not just sleep related, but life related. So all about how to be more productive at work, more be productive at life, even how to be more productive at your sleep. Oh, that, well, I, I like all those things. So can you maybe open <laughs> us up then? You talk about your, your upcoming book here. Well, I guess it will be already out by the time this episode releases, September 13-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Power of When. What yes. is, is the, the story there? You say there's an ideal sure. time to do just about everything. There is. So, you know, most self-help books tell you what to do or they tell you how to do it, but they don't tell you when to do it. So the book is called The Power of When, and it's all based on something called your chronotype. Are you familiar with what a chronotype is? Well, I am because I just took your assessment. <laughs> <laughs> but prior to that, had you ever heard of the term chronotype? You know, I had heard of it, but I, I thought it sounded a little fancy. I didn't know if it was a real thing. Yeah. 
So first of all, it is. And actually, most people actually know what some chronotypes are. So like an early bird or a night owl, those are actually chronotypes. Okay. But it turns out that there's more than two. And so let me tell you how I sort of discovered all this. So I'm an actively practicing sleep doctor. I take care of people's sleep problems, apnea, narcolepsy, insomnia, all that kind of stuff. I have a tendency to specialize in insomnia because of my background as a clinical psychologist. And uh, I was working with patients and I've been working with patients for a long time, but probably within the last two to three years, I started working with patients and I started to notice that with some patients, my techniques weren't working. Now, these are evidence-based techniques. Like these are things I've used in my toolkit for 10, 15 years. They always work. You know, I really help people, you know, break out of that insomnia mode and get into healthier sleep. And it just wasn't working. And so it was kind of curious to me. So I started to interview my patients even further. And I said, well, help me understand what's going on. And they said, well, Dr. Bruce, I'm not worried about my sleep. I just sleep at the wrong time. I said, well, what do you mean by that? Usually people who tell me they sleep at the wrong time, they're either shift workers Mm -hmm. or they're in the military or fire department or police, something where their job requires them to work at night and they have to sleep during the day. And so I'm used to that kind of stuff. That's called shift work sleep disorder. And that's, there's some protocols to treat that, but this was something different. And uh, one of my patients said to me, she said, Dr. Bruce, I can go to bed. I can fall asleep and I can wake up. It just doesn't happen to be when my family and my boss wants me to. Mm. I'm like, aha, this is something different. So I started looking around and trying to understand it. And it turned out that she was a night owl, right? She was somebody who enjoyed staying up until midnight and then sleeping until, you know, eight. And uh, that didn't go over well with the boss. I see. It certainly didn't go over well with the children who were up at 630 or, you know, her husband uh, that wasn't too thrilled about that either. And so I said, okay, well, let's run an experiment. So I called her boss and we talked with her family and we said, we think... Oh, the big doctor calls. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. No, they're usually... It's they're real now. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I said, hey, I want to run an experiment with my patient for the next two weeks. I want to allow her to go to bed late and get up late. And I'd like to see at work what her productivity looks like and at home if she's easier to get along with. And everybody was like, you mean those can be affected? I'm like, I really don't know, but I have a feeling that they might. And they said, sure, let's give it a shot. So we did. And what we discovered was, is that by allowing her to sleep when her chronorhythm dictated, which is by the way, genetically predetermined, this isn't something that you choose, it's in your genes. We discovered that not only was she more productive at work, but she got along better with her kids and her husband and everything was really doing quite well. So I said, okay, I need to learn more about this because I wonder what other activities a person could do at a particular time of day that they could do better than they normally do. So I started digging through the research. And in the last 15 years, there's literally been an explosion of research in what we call circadian rhythms. So our circadian rhythm is our internal biological clock tells us when to eat, when to sleep, actually when to do a lot of things because it controls our hormones. Hormones like cortisol and neurochemicals like serotonin and norepinephrine and epinephrine and all these different things that make our bodies do certain things, they all actually work on an internal biological clock. And by the way, not all the clocks are the same. And so that's where the chronorhythm comes in. And so I said, okay, well, it turns out that there are actually more than two. There's not just kind of the early bird night owl type of deal. There's people that are in between. And then there are people who aren't such great sleepers. So I decided to create an assessment, which you just took. It's available for people. It's completely free. It's thepowerofwhenquiz.com. And you can take this quiz. It takes about a minute and you fall into one of four categories. So early birds 
are actually what I call lions. So these are people who get up 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and these are go, go, go type, types of people. A lot of times they're COOs. They're great at operations. They're great at getting stuff done. They're not the most creative thinkers, but they can creatively solve problems as long as it goes from A to B to C to D. They're highly motivated. These are the get it done kind of people. My in-between people are my bears. So my bears are the glue for society. This is the fabric of everything. My bears are my most fun. They enjoy relaxing, but they also enjoy working. They have a great time at a party, but also have a great time at work. These are the people that you love to hang out with, that you love to do different things with in order to have a great time, but also to get some stuff done. My wolves are my night owls. And so wolves are really interesting people as well because these are a little bit on the introverted side. These are my super creative people. These are my artists, my authors, my actors. These are people who don't necessarily, aren't necessarily the life of the party, but once you get them talking, it's kind of hard to shut them up. These are the people that are really interesting, uh, have a lot of great ideas. Oftentimes my visionaries, my entrepreneurs have a tendency to be my wolves. While I do have some that are lions, the majority of them have a tendency to be wolves. But then there's a group of people that don't do so great. They're my problem sleepers and I call them my dolphins. Most people don't know, but dolphins actually sleep unihemispherically. So half of their brain sleeps while the other half is awake and looking for predators. I know it's bizarre, right? (laughs) So I thought they were a great representation of somebody who never quite gets to sleep. My dolphins are super intelligent, but they also, they're a little bit on the obsessive compulsive side. They have a tendency to work really hard, but not be as productive as they want to be. And they have a tendency to get caught up in the minutia of the world. The the itty bitty details seem to have a tendency to slow them down. So once I figured out what the four chronotypes were, then I said, well, If they all run on different sleep schedules, then they all must have different hormone schedules. And I know that certain hormones and certain neurochemicals are necessary to do stuff during the day. So what if I match them up and try to figure out, could there actually be a best time of day to do certain things? And um, lo and behold, there are over 200 studies that I've quoted in my book that actually show that that is the case. So I can figure out when's the best time to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, run a mile, or ask your boss for a raise. I've got 50 different activities as kind of the initial onslaught of the book for the power of when. And it's a lot of fun. People take the quiz, they figure out what they are, and then they kind of just start get going. Wow. So there's so much there. Now, when it comes to (laughs) the the chronotypes, what's interesting is, is you layered in there sort of more than just when they'd like to sleep or how they sleep, but also kind of sort of like personality type stuff, as well as sort of gift strengths, talents, type stuff. And and so I guess I'm curious to hear, is there a, a fundamental kind of validating source of, of study or how did you link all that together? So I actually looked through all of the literature. And so when we when I was creating the assessment tool, I actually used bits and pieces from other assessment tools that are used. Historically, we've only really tried to identify the lions and the wolves, right? Mm-hmm. So the early morning people and the nighttime people. But I felt like that fell short for two reasons. One is it didn't take personality into account. It only took scheduling into account. Like, when do you like to be up and when do you like to go to bed? And the other thing it didn't take into account was the genetic proponent of sleep drive. So there's a gene called your PER3 gene. And the length of that gene actually determines how strong or how weak of a sleep drive you have. And because I have people 
who, like I told you, my patient who she comes in and she thought she had insomnia and she didn't. She actually was a wolf and she was just trying to go to bed at the wrong time. So we have validation from a couple of different areas. And one of the things that I'm actually going to be doing next is I'm actually going to be doing melatonin testing with different chronotypes. So I'm, I'm working on now developing a saliva test where you can actually hand in your saliva sample and I can actually very accurately tell you when your melatonin is high and low, which is another way to tell what your chronotype is. Mm. Well, yeah, that's that's fascinating. And so well, so now I, I'm curious and we'll not make this just Fire about away. me, but same time, well, we need an example. So we're, let's use me. So And <laughs> you're a bear, correct? That's right. Yes. So uh, 55% of my patients are bears. 55% okay. of people are actually bears. Well, they're perfect. The majority. So you actually fall into the biggest category. That's right. So the bear story is, is well, okay, let's see. There are a few things. We're the glue, right? Maybe you said we're, we're kind of holding things together. And, and yep. so we have a number of traits. So within this majority population of mm-hmm. folks, so you're saying that this, we can also see this in our very genes as well yes. as our, our blood, uh, cortisol, et cetera, Absolutely. kind of hormonal patterns. So, so maybe, mm-hmm. maybe walk us through a little bit, sort of when for bears, the majority of people mm-hmm. and, and go to right. the power of when quiz.com. Is that right? Where the quiz is? That's it. The power of when is winquiz.com to see if you fall into the bear territory or, or elsewhere. So, all right, let's, let's think. What would be the best time indeed to, to wake up, to eat, to exercise, mm-hmm. et cetera? So here's what's cool about being a bear is most of society is a bear. And so most of your social world is actually right on cue. Um, bears are the ones who have a tendency to wake up when the sun rises and then start to mellow out when the sun sets. That's true. Bears have a tendency to wake up between like 6.45 and like 7.30 on That's average. And then they're going to, going to bed around between 10 and 10.30, 10.45 on average. And so what's interesting is that the world runs around bears because there's so many of them. Um, and so their sleep patterns are ones that work well with the workday. But there's a lot of things that bears can do better um, if they knew what time of day they did them. So a- as an example, brainstorming, right? So we all know that brainstorming is an important part of problem solving, whatever the industry is that you happen to be in, right? So whether you're an advertiser or a manufacturer, you got to figure stuff out. Well, believe it or not, there are certain times of day that are better for that, depending upon your chronotype, than others. So for a bear, what we would look at was we take a look at their morning and I'd have them waking up, you know, somewhere on 6.45, 7.30 ish, somewhere in between there. Then I would actually give them a fairly specific morning routine, which is number one, when you wake up, you're dehydrated. That's across every chronotype, yes. by the way, because you've actually breathe out almost a liter of water while you sleep every night. So the first thing you do is not put a cup of coffee in your body because coffee is a diuretic. Even though it does have a lot of liquid in it, it's not going to be particularly refreshing or hydrating. What I ask my, all my chronotypes to do is during their wake-up time, which for you, like I said, between 6.45 and 7.30, would be have a glass of water on the bedside table, drink that water as the first thing that you do, standing in front of a window and getting direct sunlight. One of the nice parts about being a bear is your melatonin faucet has already begun to shut off right as you're waking up. But if you want to clamp it off and make sure you don't kind of get that morning fog, sunlight, when it hits your optic nerve and these cells in your uh, eye called melanopsin cells, will actually stop 
melatonin production. Most people don't know, but uh, melatonin is the vampire hormone. It only comes out in darkness. Ooh, now may I chime in on sure. the light piece? So sure. it's only sunlight that's going to get the job done and looking at a light bulb won't uh, do it for me? Looking at a light bulb is, le- is not going to work nearly as well. However, you can buy commercially available light boxes you can get them on Amazon. And um, like if you live in, you know, the Northeast and it's winter and it's pretty dreary out or, you know, you live in Denmark and you don't get a whole lot of sunlight during certain periods of the year, then, you know, light boxes will actually do the same thing. A general light bulb probably won't, although it does have a significant amount of blue light in it. I'd rather see people use the light boxes or sunlight. So once you kind of got there and you're up and you've drank your water, then the next question becomes, all right, what am I supposed to do now? So getting ready, getting dressed, getting ready for work, things like that are all things that you're going to do. Get your kids ready for school, what have you. Eating breakfast turns out to be a super important thing. For my wolves or my night owls, they hate breakfast. They rarely eat breakfast because they're not hungry, because they're not even supposed to be awake when most when they're getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. But my bears are great. They eat, they eat a nice, healthy breakfast. And usually what I'm looking for for breakfast for them is a higher protein and fat mixture and a lower carbohydrate mixture. There's a lot of data to now show that carbohydrates make people feel sleepy. And so what ends up happening is sometimes people will just eat a big bowl of cereal, which is, you know, high carbohydrates, and then they start to feel sleepy. So what do they do? They drink a cup of coffee. Believe it or not, cortisol levels rise in order to help wake you up. Mm -hmm. So your cortisol should be fairly high in the morning time. Adding a stimulant like coffee to your cortisol, all it does is give you the jitters. Um, I'd rather you wait until your cortisol level begins to drop, which for bears is about 90 to 120 minutes after they wake up. So if you're waking up at, let's just make the math simple. If you're waking up at seven, then you shouldn't even consider having a cup of coffee before 8, 39 o'clock. Okay. Interesting. What's so fascinating is as you, as you speak through this bear business, it's like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of genuine validity, validity, because I I am self-employed. I have the flexibility to do what mm-hmm. works best for me. And it's like, I've just sort of progressively through trial and error and curiosity mm-hmm. landed upon some of these, these very same conclusions about the water, right. about the light, mm-hmm. a- about mm-hmm. the, the caffeine a little later, about the, the breakfast having high protein, high fat. And it's interesting, I guess I assumed, rightly or incorrectly, that, well, yeah, these are just kind of great things that maybe everybody needs to, to do. But you're saying some of them are universal, like the water, and others of them mm-hmm. are, are very much uh, differ by the chronotype. Exactly. So as an example, if I have a lion chronotype, there's somebody who's getting up at 5.30, you know, 6 o'clock. They're gonna, I'm going to have them doing some very different things. Well, they're still going to drink and they're still going to, they actually don't need to get the sunlight because their chronotype, they're boom, they're up and firing on all cylinders and ready to roll. Whereas my wolves or my night owls, they're getting up much later. They're getting up at 7.30, quarter to eight, and they have to get in front of the window because their melatonin faucet is still on full stream because their body doesn't want to be awake then. So as you can tell, it gets a little bit different for different kinds of folks. My wolves, I try to keep them, they are super caffeinated. They drink caffeine all day long just to try to stay on earth. And uh, when in fact, some of the things they could be doing could be a little bit better. But let's walk through your day just a little bit more. So let's say you've got 
a podcast that you're going to set up and you want to do research on your podcast guest, hence Dr. Bruce. Mm -hmm. So what's the best time of day for you to do something like that? Well, if you're going to be reading or editing or looking, you're going to want to be at the times when you are at your sharpest. So you tell me, what are some of the times that you find yourself, Pete, to be the most sharp? You know, and it's it's interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot with now sharp is a little different than creative. You know, it's very different. But they're both like assets that I want. <laughs> uh, can I be sharp and creative at the same time? Uh, absolutely. See, I'm, so first of all, you're super progressive for an understanding that those two are different things. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. So creativity is what I call groggy greatness. Okay. Okay. So when you're point on and you can balance your checkbook and do research and things like that, you're not being creative. You're being analytical. You're consuming data, you're making associations, and then you're pushing it back out in whatever the work product is that you need to do. But brainstorming, like we were mentioning before, is where you get creative. Believe it or not, brainstorming is best when you're a little sleepy, when you're a little distracted, right? When you're kind of in that afternoon dip, like between one and three in the afternoon, you probably get some of your most creative ideas or very early in the morning. As an example, I wake up sometimes and because I've just had REM sleep, most people don't know, but REM sleep is usually one of the last stages of sleep that you're in and you Mm -hmm. have the most REM sleep in the last section of sleep or cycle of sleep. That's when you're making all these mental associations, moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory and categorizing information inside your brain for recall later. So what's interesting about that is you get great creative ideas right as you're getting out of bed. So a lot of my patients, specifically my wolves and my bears, I have them keep a notepad by the bed to Mm -hmm. write down ideas as they get out of bed because they'll be surprised about their creativity. Then once I have them have that breakfast before the coffee, I have them do their analytical work. And so when you're doing your research, my guess is if you try to do it somewhere between 8.30 and 9.30, somewhere in that kind of range, you're going to find yourself to be spot on. You have a little fuel in you from your food. Your melatonin faucet is off. Your guns are pointed in the right direction. You're going to actually plow through stuff a lot quicker than you normally would if you tried to do it at 10, 30, 11, or even in the afternoon. Okay. Well, that's, that's good and handy. So well, now I'm wondering about, about email. You know, I, I think in many ways that the email challenge <laughs> is that you're kind of like rapid switching. It's like, I do oh, yeah. one and and then it's like, you know, most of my emails I dispatch in 20 seconds or less in terms of delete or <laughs> sounds good, thanks, or how's next Friday, you know, do, 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 you know, and then just a few, it's like, okay, right. star that and, and then spend a royal six minutes, you know, artfully crafting the response. So right. what kind of brain function, hormonal balance, timing mm-hmm. is optimal for that? Okay, so my question to you first is, is this writing an email? where you're going to need some creativity or is it responding and going through your emails? It is, it's more responding and making decisions like David Allen, episode 15, getting things done style. Like what's the next action? Where do I park this? Mm -hmm. How do we Mm -hmm. get, can I process through these? So let me ask you just a couple more questions. Okay. So when you're going through your emails and you see one that's important, do you stop there and spend some thoughtful time or do you click push that down over here. I'm going to get to that later. I just want to drill through and get all the crap out of my inbox. You know, I, I star that and okay. tend to do it maybe toward the end of the email session or at a scheduled time. So you're actually following uh, several of the rules already. So there's a lot of interesting things about email. And then my last question to you is, are you concerned about 
the person who's receiving the email in terms of when are you sending that email? Or is it mostly, I'm going to, I've got my thoughts together. I'm going to send this email now because there are actually times where open rates are higher for emails than there are during other times of day, just by the very nature of people's chronotype, actually. Oh, sure. Well, if I'm playing the email open rate game, I'm usually using the send later plugin for Apple Mail. So I almost never, I usually, it's just like, Hey, I'm sending it when I'm sending it. And, and there's no need for, for delay. So no, I'm not even thinking really at all about the timing it lands, except for the gold nugget mm-hmm. email list, which come out at about 3 a.m. Central time. So that's just <laughs> sort of there for people ready in the morning, which may not be optimal. That's another conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, so that's, that's where that stands. Okay. Let's say it's today and you're going, it's a weekday and you're going through your emails. So first of all, you should know that bears and dolphins have the best inboxes out of all of the chronotypes. They have a tendency to get through stuff, be able to push stuff to the side, answer the quick thing, and then star, if you will. It's very similar actually to your technique and then kind of do a thoughtful email. So when you're looking at timing in specific, I'm I'm, uh, actually referring to a specific time in my book. So 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. turns out to be your window of opportunity for emails. And then again, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. The 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. has a greater tendency to be, oh, something happened during the day or there's a social factor in there. Let's go meet for a happy hour or, you know, somebody is saying, hey, let's go have dinner or movie or something like that. So your 10 to 2 and your 4 to 6 is what works for you for bears. And there's a couple of reasons why. So we know that cortisol has a tendency to wax and wane throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so that's a period of time where you're coming off of a cortisol high which is where you'd have the most analytic power. And you're starting to move down into a little bit more of that kind of groggy greatness. So you can kind of start to get through things and you can kind of be creative in terms of the emails that you're constructing. Okay, so I think in in many ways, I guess if we were to summarize a bit, it's sort of like groggy greatness is associated with, it's like, I'm not gonna be too hard on myself about my creative brainstorming. I'm just gonna throw it out there. You know what, whatever. I'm just gonna write a bunch of stuff and that's helpful because I'm Mm -hmm. less inhibited. That's it. I'm uninhibited right. uh, as, I, as I put that out exactly. there. As opposed to when I'm highly alert, you're, you're, that's sort of right. less ideal for the, the brainstorming, but more ideal for you know, precision, detailed data things. And this exactly. has reminded me of, of some great stuff we had with uh, David Cadavy back then in episode 52. It's all come together a little bit. So there's the, the groggy greatness creative side, and then there's the, the, the sharp alert right. side. Is there... Another dimension right. by which I should be thinking about my timings or what? From an email perspective, I would say no. I would say those two would cover exactly what you're kind of looking for other than the when is the best time to send it. We know that people have a tendency to open more emails on the weekends than they do during the week. We know that depending upon what you put in the subject line, if it's work-related Monday and Tuesday, people have a tendency to open up those emails because it's the beginning of the week. They want to kind of figure out what's going to have to happen throughout the week in order to get themselves by. Whereas from a social perspective, you're going to look at like the, you know, Thursday, Friday emails are going to be much greater in terms of a social interaction. But mm-hmm. I think you kind of got it nailed. Oh, well, that's fun to hear. Let's talk about when when I'm not good for much of anything. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. if I were to schedule like my lowest priority, you know, meetings or, or stuff, what time should I be aiming for there? Sure. So late, late at night is not good for you. Anytime really past like 11-ish is you're just kind of checked out. You, you've had your day, you've done your thing. It's That's not the time to talk. 
major social issues like relationship issues. That's not the time of day to be trying to get somebody to invest in your company, things like that. The same holds true with early, early morning. You're not an early, early morning person. Breakfast meetings would be okay if you're only playing a support role, but if you're going to lead the conversation, I would stay away from a breakfast meeting for you. I would, I would say you have a far greater likelihood of having a 10 o'clock coffee meeting that would be much better off for you than an early morning breakfast meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what about ideal times for, let's see, we covered the, the eating, the emails, the mm-hmm. creativity. Did we cover different dimensions of, of using your, yourself like like exercise or, or prayer or meditation. I think those are kind of in totally different categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exercise, I broke it down by four different types of exercise. So there's... Oh, I love segments. Yeah. Okay. So there's like cardiovascular, go for a run. There's um, yoga and stretching. There's playing a team sport and there's training for strength. Mm-hmm. So I'm a more of a cardio runner type of person, cycler. So I always have a tendency to talk more about that kind of stuff. So when you're looking at that, there are a couple things that you would want to think about. So as a bear, you actually have the most flexibility in terms of when you can exercise and be kind of at your peak level of performance. You would be fine to exercise in the mornings, but not too early. I wouldn't want you getting up earlier than your 6.45 to 7.30 range, if you have time in the mornings to exercise, that would actually probably be a good time for you because the endorphins that will be produced will kind of set your day off on a nice, smooth trajectory. Assuming that day that you don't have major meetings or something stressful, but it's kind of like one of your run-of-the-mill days where you're just kind of getting stuff done and plodding along, exercise for you in the morning would be great. Exercise, a cardiovascular exercise in particular, right around lunchtime is also another good time for you. Most people don't know, but exercise is actually an appetite depressant. So if somebody is trying to lose weight, the, one of the best things they can do for their lunch hour is to take 30 minutes and walk and then have 30 minutes to eat. And you know, preferably that food choice is going to be more along the lines of a, of a protein and a roughage, like a grilled chicken salad or salmon salad or, or something along those lines. Even a sandwich is fine as long as it's not like monster amounts of bread or what have you. Because not, And not from a carbohydrate weight gain standpoint, but from a slow you down standpoint. Having protein and fat during that lunchtime period is actually going to give you more energy to help you work throughout the day, as opposed to that three o'clock, oh my God, I need to get a Snickers bar and a cup of coffee type of routine. Mm -hmm. Evening exercise is fine for you, but you don't want to go late into the evening. You would would be best to exercise right after work as opposed to waiting an hour or two and catching a class at the gym. You would be much better to go straight from work to like, you know, 435 o'clock straight to the gym, because that's when you're also going to have another higher cortisol peak time for you to be not only visually acuity, so you can actually see where you're going um, and be able to, you know, make sure you don't roll your ankle and things like that. Um, Also, your pain tolerance hasn't quite kicked in at, at its highest level. For my wolves, actually, this is a problem because their pain tolerance, they hate exercise. One of the reasons is, is because their body's pain tolerance is significantly lower. So they actually feel pain more than my bears and my lions when they exercise. So they have a tendency to be a little bit more overweight on occasion, simply because they hate to exercise. Okay. So this is so fun. Now I'm curious (laughs) in terms, let's talk about that dip, you know, in terms of the, you know, two, Uh 3 PM. So one, When is the ideal time to take a nap and how long should it be? Okay, so the dip is actually a biologically driven event. 
So between one and three in the afternoon, everybody, doesn't matter what your chronotype is, it may be a little bit earlier or a little bit later, has a small core body temperature drop of about a quarter of a degree centigrade. And the reason uh, that happens, we don't know, but we know that when it does happen, it's a trigger for your brain to release melatonin. And so what ends up happening is between one and three in the afternoon, core body temperature drops, brain says, oh, it's sleep time and it releases melatonin, and that's what's making you sleepy. That, if you pile that on with a big sandwich, you know, and a lot of bread for a lot of carbohydrates, it can make you super sleepy. But it actually turns out to be a great time for a nap. So if you're a napper, and I recommend naps for people who, well, first of all, dolphins should never nap, um, because they're not great sleepers to begin with. So napping, all that's going to do is mess up your sleep even worse. For my wolves, I actually have them napping a little bit earlier in the day because they're so tired and they're having such brain fog of waking up earlier than they really wanted to. Sometimes I'm having them nap as early as 11 o'clock. But the perfect time of day for a nap is between one and three in the afternoon. And there's really two types of naps. You can either do a power nap for about 25 minutes or less or a full cycle sleep nap, which would be about 90 minutes. The average individual, it takes them approximately 90 minutes to go through a sleep cycle. And if you take a nap around one o'clock, you, you could probably pull one off. <laughs> well, I, I'm anxious to try, try my hand at it. Uh, so <laughs> that's interesting. Now with the one to three, then I want to see if we can kind of even plan for it, like schedule it yeah, in terms of- Yeah, you want to dial that in even more. Yeah. What I would say for you is if you're a bear, I would say that right around 1.45, two o'clock, is go into your place where you've got a nice, calm, quiet area. Obviously, safety is always a concern when people are sleeping, so make sure that they're in a sleep, safe sleep environment. Throw on some eye shades, set your phone alarm, and put it you know, next to you, and uh, have it run for 25 minutes and close your eyes. You will wake up and you will receive enough stage one and stage two sleep so that it will reduce that level of adenosine, which is the thing that's making you sleepy, as well as the melatonin, and you'll be good for quite a while. Oh, that's, that's so Handy. And so is, do you see that, I guess with bears, it's pretty reliable in terms of like the five, 10, 15 minute window when, ooh, temperature dropping, sleepy time is here. Like regardless of what time you wake up or is it like eight hours after the wake up or how do we think about that? So it's roughly five and a half to six hours afterwards. So my bears are getting up at seven and they're getting sleepy at one. That's about that should be, yeah, six hours, right? So that's kind of where we start to see that melatonin drop. And by the way, that's something that's been around for hundreds of years, that melatonin drop. And actually, there are lots of people that still take advantage of it. If you go to Latin American countries, it's called a siesta. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one of the reasons why people will fall asleep then. But for you, I would take a 25-minute nap then. And if you really wanted to supercharge your nap, you could do what I call, which is nap a latte. Tell me more. So here's what you do. <laughs> I know <laughs> you're intrigued. Yeah. So, so what I have people do is get a cup of drip coffee, put three ice cubes in it to cool it down and drink the entire cup of coffee, about six ounces, and then take your power nap, your 25 minute power nap. You'll get enough stage one or stage two sleep to reduce that adenosine. The caffeine kicks in within 25 minutes. You're good for four hours guaranteed. I see. And so that's not, that's not too late for, for caffeine to impact my evening sleep. Right. I like people to stop caffeine or have their last caffeine around 2 p.m. because that because caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours, depending upon if you're a quick metabolizer or not. And so that way it won't impact your ability to fall asleep at night. Okay. Well, th- this is so, so handy. Thank you. Now, well, I'd like to maybe zoom out a little bit. You know, we talked about you know, sure. chronotypes, 
the the best time for, for different, um, I, I see it, <laughs> the best time for different <laughs> things to occur. So can you share with us? So generally speaking, you know, these, these circadian ultradian rhythms, uh, now I had read before, mm-hmm. they tend to last, you know, 90-ish minutes. And you mentioned a, a sleep right. cycle of 90-ish minutes. And then like right. powerful engagement and other resources might recommend that you, you, you take a a rest or break of, of some sort and that you, you really shouldn't try to power past that because you're the human person isn't kind of built to push it like that to to focus intensely for more than 90 minutes or so. What's your take on on breaks in general and, and how do we kind of optimally strategize those uh, given the 90-ish minute cycles? So what I would argue is that while 90-minute cycles are, are, are kind of an interesting concept, I would argue that they're shorter, especially uh-huh. for attention span. I try not to do lectures longer than 45 minutes to an hour because people just can't concentrate. Um, e- even if it's the most interesting subject in the universe, there are so many people that are sleep-deprived out there. I think that people have a really difficult time concentrating for longer than that. Also, I try to stay away from those intense times during one to three in the afternoon, because so many people are tired during that period of time. So I kind of pull back that way. And that's when I start to schedule things that would require a little bit more attention. I think breaks are great. The best thing to do when you're going to be taking a break from whatever activity it is, is get up, walk outside and get direct sunlight. If you don't want to take a nap between one and three, but you feel like you're getting tired, the easiest thing to do is to get direct sunlight because that stops melatonin production in its tracks. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now I'm thinking about sunlight is also making me think about vitamin D. So I'll just ask, what what do we think about uh, supplementation? I'm thinking melatonin, rhodiola, Mm -hmm. rosea, if I'm saying that right, calcium, Mm -hmm. sleeping pills, pros, cons. Okay. Let's take them all one at a time. So let's talk first about vitamin D and uh, supplementation. So there is an epidemic of vitamin D problems in the United States. There's a tremendous number of people that have a deficiency in vitamin D. So me personally, I recommend to almost all of my patients morning administration of between one and 2,000 international units of vitamin D. It's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. And I think that it comes partially from our diets where we get very little vitamin D, but also most of us stay out of the sun because Mm -hmm. we're, you know, fearful of harmful sun rays or we have sunblock on and that prevents it. 15 minutes of sunlight every single morning is not going to hurt you as well as taking a vitamin D supplement. I think that's going to be a good idea. If you're looking at something like melatonin, that's a whole different ballgame. So melatonin is not a sleep initiator. It's a sleep regulator. So melatonin actually helps change your circadian clock. And there's some very good uses for melatonin. My shift workers, I use it all the time. People who are police officers, firemen, military who are asleep during the day and awake at night, they need something to shift their body clock. That's very, very important. And melatonin actually does a good job of doing that. Jet lag is another scenario melatonin can be very helpful for. There's a couple of things you need to know about melatonin. So number one, the appropriate dose for the average adult is between a half and one milligram. Almost 95% of the melatonin that's sold in the United States today is in an overdosage format. Hmm. So most people are taking too much melatonin. Number two, because it's not an initiator, but rather a regulator, it takes almost 90 minutes for it to reach plasma concentration levels for it to be effective. Hmm. So if you're taking it right before you go to sleep, it isn't going to work. Okay. Okay. It's going to have a much greater effect if you take it 90 minutes 
before going to sleep so that it's reaching its peak. So then you can close your eyes and then it'll start to work. Point number three is it's not regulated by the FDA because it's considered a supplement. And so I can make it in my garage and it can have as much mm. rat poop in it as, you know, my garage. Hopefully my garage does not have any <laughs> rat poop in it. It's legal for me to sell it. So knowing the quality of the products that you are putting into your body is going to be very, very important. Two side notes that most people don't know is melatonin is by prescription only in Europe. No um, kidding. And at very large, do- yeah, by prescription only. And at very large dosages, it's a contraceptive. Contraceptive? Yes. Whoa. And so this is, yeah. And so this is why I tell people under no circumstances should you give melatonin to children. None. Huh. The only time that I've actually seen melatonin working well for children has been in some children who are on the spectrum. So on the autism spectrum and for some children with ADD, I have actually seen that it be very effective and the dosages are pretty high there, like three, five, and 10 milligrams. Those are very special situations, but I can't think of anything worse than introducing a contraceptive into a young female developing body that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, I might be too conservative, but I'm going on record as saying, I don't like, I would never give it to my daughter. Let's put it that way. Okay. Wow. That, I don't think we go there, but we, we learned something. Thank you. And then I'm also curious when talks about, we talk about cortisol. Yep. Are you familiar Almost no one seems to have heard of this, but you're you're the you're the doctor, and I've seen some cool <laughs> research on uh, rhodiola rosea. Yep. Yep. Examine.com very much impressed me with all of the the research and benefits associated with that. And so I'm curious in, in the grand scheme of of sleep and cortisol and fatigue, how you right. view this supplement. So I have had a small amount of experience with it. Um, I've got. Uh, one patient actually who has, who takes it fairly religiously and they find that it absolutely helps them calm down. You know, one of my biggest problems with my dolphins is that their cortisol is actually high at night. So it makes it difficult for them to fall asleep. And, um, my read on the literature limited as it may be, I'm not, I'm no, I'm not a, an herbal expert was that this actually helps curb cortisol production in the evenings. And so that was my understanding of the mechanisms behind why it works for some people. And so I think for some people, it can be actually quite effective. Uh, Before you take any supplements, you got to check with your physician, make sure that you don't have any potential interaction effects with other medications that you could be taking or other supplements. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So much good stuff. Now with sleep, you have so much experience researching that and at length. And so I know we could talk for uh, several hours about it, but so maybe we could just sort of summarize a bit in terms of one for the chronic undersleeper who's he wants to be awesome about his job and is is hard charging could you make the case for why sleep is necessary how much and and why should sure. it be a priority sure so first of all let me start off by saying i'm a six and a half hour sleeper okay i have been my entire life okay that's who i am so eight hours is a myth so for folks out there who think oh my gosh i've got to get eight and they're feeling guilty for not getting it don't because you might not need eight. I haven't used an alarm clock in almost 15 years. So when you are waking up naturally on your own after a period of time of sleep, that's your sleep need, if you will. And that's something that you can address. I've got kind of five simple steps that people can use to help them get a better night's sleep and to be more productive during their workday, if that would make sense to, to talk about them here. Let's take them. So the first thing is, is the consistency of your sleep schedule. And it's actually more important to wake up at the same time than it is to go to bed at the same time. So, you know, Friday night, if you want to stay out late or Saturday night, dinner and a movie or out with friends or parties or what have you, 
that's fine. But you still got to wake up at the same time you do during the week on the weekends. So if you wake up at seven o'clock, you know, during the week, I want you up at seven o'clock on Saturday and up at seven o'clock on Sunday, because that reset of the circadian clock plans your day. Because if you sleep in on Saturday and sleep in on Sunday, guess what your brain wants to do on Monday? Absolutely. Sleep sleep in. In. And that makes it difficult. You show up at work, groggy, non-productive. It's not going to kick off your week the way you want it to. Step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. We know that caffeine, like I said, has a half-life of between six and eight hours. So you don't want it to affect your ability to sleep. Now, don't get me wrong. I got people who show up in my office all the time and they say, Michael, I can have a cup of coffee at eight o'clock at night and fall asleep. No problem. Here's what I would argue is there's nobody in the universe who's going to argue with me that caffeine is a stimulant. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I did put EEG electrodes all over your head after you had your eight o'clock cup of coffee and I looked at the sleep that you're getting, I can almost guarantee you that, yes, you fell asleep, but you got light, crappy sleep. Remember, it's not just a quantity issue. It's a quality issue as well. So limiting caffeine by two is going to improve your overall sleep quality. Also, over caffeinating in the morning just to kind of get yourself going you're going to burn out quick and then you're going to have to ingest more caffeine and more caffeine and it's just not going to be as productive as you want it to be. Step number three has to do with alcohol. We haven't had a chance to talk much about alcohol, but um, there's a big difference between going to sleep and passing out, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're talking with people, alcohol, while it does make you feel sleepy, it keeps you out of the deeper stages of sleep. But I don't have a problem if you want to have a couple of beers with dinner or a cocktail or a couple of glasses of wine. But here's what I ask you to do. For each glass of alcohol that you drink, drink one glass of water. Number one, it helps rehydrate you because alcohol is a diuretic and you're already going to be dehydrated when you wake up. You you don't need to go to bed dehydrated. That's number one. And number two, give yourself one hour per alcoholic beverage before you go to bed. So if you've had two glasses of wine and your dinner is over at eight, you would not want to go to bed before 10 o'clock because it takes the average human body approximately an hour to digest through all of the sugars and the tannins and the things like that for alcohol. Step number four is exercise. We already talked a lot about it, but exercise daily is the best thing you can do for sleep. It's the easiest way to improve the quality of your sleep. Some people though, they can't exercise right before bed. They have a tendency to get too jazzed up. So I I ask them to exercise earlier in the day or even in the morning. Again, the book will tell you exactly when is your perfect time for the perfect type of exercise. And when you say exercise, it boosts your sleep quality. Is it uh, any particular type of exercise give you more of a benefit on the sleep quality or or is all four of those categories you laid out earlier going to give you approximately equal benefit to sleep quality? So there's only one or two studies that have tried to kind of tease out the type of exercise. I saw most of them have been cardio related. So we're looking at more of a cardiovascular exercise appears to improve your overall level of sleep quality. And by cardiovascular exercise, I'm not saying run a marathon. I'm talking about walking 25, 30 minutes. Okay. Like that's enough to be able to actually have some benefits to your sleep. If you want to do more, do more, but don't feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to run, you know, 10, five minute miles in order to get better sleep because it doesn't really work that way. For strength training, that actually can hurt your sleep depending upon how heavy you lift, how much damage you do to your muscles and the timing of it and whether or not it causes pain, right? So if you have pain from your exercise, it could prevent you from sleeping. So that could be a big issue as well. Mm. Um, And the final one is just getting 15 minutes of sunlight in the mornings, which we've already talked about. Okay. So those are handy things there. And I guess now I'm curious, you talked about, you might be a six and a half hour sleeper and that's totally fair and legit and and nothing Mm -hmm. to worry about. I think as I think about my own sleep pattern, it seems like, well, today, 
I woke up after about five and a half hours of sleep. And I usually wake up mm-hmm. after seven hours of sleep. And after waking up after five and a half hours of sleep for no good reason, no alarm, no distractions or noises or, or lights, I was just like, oh man, now I guess I'm awake. And it was a bummer. So when it comes to some of these sleep quality things, like, you know, watch out for your devices and your blue lights and your alcohol and whatnot, is there something that can contribute to early wake-ups in particular? In a good way or in a bad way? I'm thinking in a bad way. It's like, I'd rather have remained asleep a little bit longer. It felt better when I uh, arose. So some of the biggest things that I find that are sleep disruptors is temperature. So uh, we haven't had a chance to talk much about that other than talking about those core body temperature dips. If it's too hot in your room, it's difficult to sleep. The data would suggest if it's over 75 to 78 degrees, it's going to be much more difficult for you to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so that could easily be something that wakes you up. From a noise perspective, if you've got a bed partner that snores, that can certainly be, and it can be a human bed partner or a non-human bed partner. It mm-hmm. just depends. I have a French bulldog who sleeps right next <laughs> to me every night. Aliens, I'm not talking about aliens. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I have a French bulldog who sleeps right next to me every night between me and my wife, and he snores like crazy. So there are definitely times where I am woken up by his snoring. You know, sound definitely can be a, a factor for waking people up. And then, of course, light. If there is too much light in the room, specifically blue light, it will go through your eyelids and it will wake you up. Mm -hmm. Is there another variable associated with, this is my hypothesis, and I just want to throw it by the doctor, Mm -hmm. associated with maybe you had, let's say you had dinner at 6.30 and you went to bed at 10.30. So you're not like hungry, but there is, there's sort of less circulating nutrients in your blood sugar going on and and thus there may be reason for cortisol to get activated earlier. Is that a thing or I just invent that and it's not real? No, that's actually a thing. And so I have patients who wake up in the middle of the night hungry. And so the very first thing I'm looking at is the potential for diabetes, blood sugar issues, metabolic process issues, things like that. That's going to be actually something that if you wake up in the middle of the night hungry, you need to talk with your doctor and make sure that you don't have early onset diabetes or pre-diabetes and also looking at your levels of blood sugar. There's nothing wrong with, by the way, having a small snack before bed. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with it, right? A 250 calorie snack that's maybe 60% carbs and 40% protein or fat is going to be just fine. Again, small, you know, 250 calories, 200 calories. I'm not saying eat a hot fudge sundae before bed, even though I personally would love to do that every night. That would not look too good on me after a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot of fantastic stuff about about sleep and timing (laughs) and, and hormones. I'd say you tell me, is there any other kind of key gems you want to make sure you put out there before we kind of shift gears and hear about your favorite things? Well, I would say that don't take your sleep for granted. So many people out there tell me, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead or, oh, I'll catch up on my sleep. It doesn't really work that way. Your best bet is to have some good sleep habits as they stand now, because sleep has been related to every single disease state and every organ system. Cancer cells multiply faster the more sleep deprived your body is. I don't think I need to say any more than that to get that message across, but literally any issue that you could have gets worse with sleep deprivation. So do yourself a favor and get not only good quality, but good quantity sleep. Okay, will do. Well, now can you tell us about some of your favorite things here? How about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? 
Oh, I heard one the other day. Hold on. I got it on my phone. I took a picture of a quote. So I thought this, this is from Nicholas Tesla. Okay. I just heard this the other day. And I thought it was quite fascinating. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomenon, it will make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of its existence. Hmm. Oh, I thought that was fascinating. So the things that we can't necessarily see are some of the things that we need to explore the most. Oh, cool. And how about a, a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? You know, I would have to say that with all of my learnings recently with chronotypes, I would say that some of the most fascinating research actually was the cancer research where we started to look at things. There's something kind of interesting going on in the, in the medical world right now. And that is that we're starting to, during specimen collection, so blood, urine, saliva, we're actually starting to timestamp it because we're now finding out that there are different norms based on the time of day that the sample was collected. Oh, wow. Right. And so, yeah, which is fascinating, right? And so when you think about it, let's say you've got thyroid issues and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the best time for me to be taking my medications? You know, historically, people want to take medication at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Mm -hmm. right? You know, if you have to take it three times a day um, or taking it with food. And so what I tell people all the time is uh, that's not necessarily the best time to be taking your medication. But there's now data to show that chemotherapy given at night is more effective than chemotherapy during the day. And how about a a favorite book? Favorite book. Well, I like The Power of When because I just wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say um, I'm a big uh, biography person and um, a biography that I just finished. Well, not just finished, maybe a little while ago, which I thought was really interesting and inspirational believe it or not, was Andre Agassi. Hmm. He had a great book. I I just picked it up. It's been out for a while, but um, learning more about his life and what he had to go through to become a great champion. He has some major physical issues and he came from a fairly abusive background and it was really, really fascinating to learn more. I I like biography. I like biographies of interesting people because I love to know how did they get to where they got. Yeah. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use often that's been very helpful for you? I would say that my gym app is the thing that I use more than anything else. So I find out when the classes are and then I can schedule them in my, uh, in my calendar. So I would say my calendar is probably my biggest tool that I use. Okay. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's really boosted your effectiveness? So I do this thing. It's a little odd, but it works really well for me. I do a one minute meditation when I'm in the shower. Okay. So I get, I face the water. And I have the water actually hitting me directly in the forehead. Mm -hmm. And when it drips down my face, I can't do anything other than concentrate on my breathing because, you know, there's so much water there. And so as I'm slowly breathing in and out, as the water is hitting my face, it really focuses me in. And after I do that for a minute and I walk out of the shower, I am like dead on, right on the money, ready to do just about anything. Oh, I like how supremely specific that is. Thank you. (laughs) And how about a a favorite sort of uh, nugget of yours that you share when you're doing Dr. Oz or shows or speaking Mm -hmm. things or in the books with the Kindle versions, things just really seem to connect with folks in terms of they, they retweet, they Kindle book highlight, they, they share with others, Mm -hmm. they nod their heads. Do you have a a quote or two of yours that's really seems to resonate with folks? Sure. I tell people all the time, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. That's one of them. And then one for this book has been uh, your pillow unlocks your potential. Oh, alliteration. Powerful. Yes. And we like alliteration. <laughs> and what would you say is the best place to find you if folks want to learn more or, or check out your stuff? I guess uh, the power of when quiz.com is a key spot to go to. Uh, where else yep, might you that's- point them to? They can go to the Power of When quiz. They can go to the Power of I'm also available on the Sleep Doctor, 
Bob.com. And I'm, of course, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and LinkedIn and all those wonderful places. Oh, cool. And do you have a parting challenge or a call to action you'd leave listeners with who are seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Absolutely. So number one, go take the quiz. I guarantee you, you'll learn something about yourself that you didn't know. And then if you like the quiz and you like the results from the quiz, check out the book. There's a great chapter in there called When to Ask Your Boss for a Raise. And that is supremely interesting and can be extremely helpful. Oh, yes. Thank you. Well, Dr. Bruce, this has been such a treat. Thank you. And I hope the book is a smashing success. And I'm happy to have had a a little part in helping some folks get to know about it. I couldn't thank you more. Thanks again. And uh, for everybody out there, you know, sweet dreams. All right. There you have it. So good. So interesting. And I would just encourage you, check out the powerofwindquiz.com. Do that. And just don't get too neurotic. I don't know. This could happen to me. If I, if I see there is an optimal way, you know, I want to do it every time, every which way. And that's not always super practical in terms of the individual obligations and demands that you have upon you. But I would check out, see if you can make a little tweak here, a little tweak there, and, and see just how much it, it makes a difference. In particular, I'd say, I mentioned Labor Day, I'm a big nap fan. And, and this is just taking it to a whole extra level, which is pretty cool. So again, the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned is over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F63. And do please punch the subscribe button if you have not already, as you're going to hear from MJ Ryan next on how you can integrate some quick mental mantras, uh, habits that can boost your performance, yet take zero time because it's just real quick in your head. So hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.